connecting to the AOC Podcast Network. Enjoy your stay. What is AOC? What is community media? Maybe these are small questions, but they have big answers. So big, in fact, that we had to make a whole podcast about just that. The short answer is in our mission statement. Building an informed and engaged community through media, technology, and education. I'm Matt Roberts. So can I get you to say and spell your name for me? Ooh, if I can remember. My name is Matt Roberts, uh, M-A-T-T-R-O-B-E-R-T-S. All right. And I think you know the score here. We've done enough of these community quotes together. 42 to nothing. <laughs> so I'm going to start off uh, asking you a couple of questions about your childhood and your past. Uh, where'd you grow up? And what was it like growing up there? I grew up in Lafayette, Louisiana, for the most part. Um, there were a few parts spent in like smaller towns in Louisiana and even a smaller uh, town in Texas, I think, for like a brief period of time. And then uh, a six, literally six months stint in New Orleans during high school. Um, but mostly Lafayette. Um, and... And if I'm being honest, then a lot in probably like television until my teenage years when I finally uh, made some friends. And uh, what was it like? Um, it was uh, it was interesting and weird, and I always felt uh, maybe a little out of place because we were from Lafayette, and so Cajun culture was a big thing uh, in the Acadiana area, but I never really felt like I was part of that Cajun culture, even though I'd lived here all my life. So it always, there was always a little tinge of like outsideriness, not to mention that I was just a weird kid. So was, uh, was any of your family heavily involved in the Cajun culture or was the whole family kind of outside of that? Yes and no, in that like my mom's side of the family definitely uh, enjoyed like crawfish boils and things like that, but nobody spoke French, um, at least in the generations that I knew. I think maybe the, uh, my great-grandparents probably spoke French still, um, but nobody from my grandma uh, and, and my aunts and uncles, uh, none of them spoke French or were really heavily into Cajun culture. Okay. Well, when you were a child, uh, did you have a career in mind to pursue, or was there anything that you really wanted to do or be? I had a few. I think I want to say the first one that I called out when I was um, five was like to be a cop, uh, a police officer. And I think my mom said, she laughed and said, I think you might want to be an actor because you like cop shows, <laughs> but I don't think you would really like police work. Um, and, and then like shortly after that, or maybe slightly before that, uh, comedian was definitely the thing. I remember being like very young in, in first grade or so, 
around six years old, just staying up all night watching like comedy shows. And I just thought it was, it looked like one of the coolest things to do to get up there and just talk and make people laugh. And so speaking of uh, careers, what was your first job? My first job was uh, a dishwasher to the pizza trough known as, well, we'll just say a pizza trough, a place where you could go. And no buzz marketing here. Dump pizza into a trough and people would come and just like scoop the large <laughs> amounts of pizza onto their plate. And, Did you take any, uh, any life lessons or work experience really away from that first job? I mean, that was definitely the beginnings of knowing that I probably didn't want to work in the food service industry <laughs> for too long. Um, just because, you know, it's kind of icky and sweaty and, and, and low pay and customers are always uh, are demanding, uh, which, yeah, it just wasn't, it wasn't a real fit for me, I don't think. Okay. Even though I worked many more food service jobs and would still work a food service job if the money drove up, uh, dried up. So just so you know, food service people. <laughs> don't discount you yet. <clears throat> yeah, uh, I can learn. So I know you've been with AOC uh, kind of on and off for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about uh, any significant changes you've seen to AOC from its early years to where we kind of stand now? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I was uh, I got to watch the transition from AOC being a real sort of novelty. I remember growing up in Lafayette and watching AOC and just being like, wait, in my city, people can go and get on TV. Um, to watch it transition from that novelty of, you know, being able to get your message out there to a big audience, which was super uncommon to the age of YouTube and the internet. And YouTube, by the way, was originally an access project, I think. I have to double check facts on that. But I think it was part of another access center um, where, you know, it became much less of a novelty to put your message out. So AOC is really... Uh, one of the things that, that drew me back here was seeing how it had transitioned over the years into a full media center where not only did they provide that cable uh, television outlet, but they started to provide internet radio and web distribution in one form or another uh, to help people who are maybe not so, not across that digital divide gap um, to get their stuff distributed online. Um, and help people to to be able to shape media as a craft and really transitioned into that that teaching and that hub of expertise and and community media which is uh it's really cool and i like being a part of that in any way i can well when you think back on uh all your years with aoc both on staff and off of staff as a volunteer producer do you have uh a favorite memory or uh, experience that just kind of sticks with you and you think of as quintessentially an AOC experience? Oh, uh, well, uh, <laughs> there's different ones. I think sort of behind the scenes, um, and there's too many to really name or where you get more of the quintessential AOC experiences. And that's what I mean by that is, you know, people who never thought they would be able to produce a, a TV show or a radio show. Um, those opportunities and when somebody really like gets that feeling that they can do this, that they can break this larger process up into smaller parts and achieve them, that's really satisfying for me to see. But like favorite memories of productions would be, I'd have to say, uh, a show we used to do called Strip Down at 307. I was really proud of, uh, of 
community partnership on that. We partnered with a local uh, a local bar who was also a music venue, and they did some of the production. And then uh, via volunteer hours and lots of editing hours, and also uh, I should give a shout out to uh, Matt Johnson with Broken Art Recording Studio, which I don't know if he's still operating with that name, uh, but he would do the mixing and mastering. So it was a real community effort to put forth local, real local entertainment that maybe wasn't uh, spotlighted as much as other local inter entertainment in, in the form of uh, rock and roll and independent music. Um, and it was really fun, uh, really fun and taxing uh, experience because it was every week we'd lug out all the gear on Wednesday, um, wrangle volunteers, which luckily William, who's my interviewer, was part of, um, and his wife and a few other volunteers who would come and offer to be crew, um, including some who would do my part of it while I was playing in a band at that time. So it was uh, it was a lot of fun. On a, on a personal note, yeah, that was a <laughs> lot of fun. I remember very fondly stripped down. We, we had a lot, of, a lot of good times doing that. And then also, before we move off of that, I do have to mention uh, the radical reporters who just <laughs> messed with my mic and revealed their shirt here. Uh, but the Radical Reporters are one of my uh, the funnest long-term projects that I've worked on at AOC. Let me fix my shirt before. Okay. Um, hopefully that mic's still picking up. Uh, but the Radical Reporters, the Radical Reporters were uh, are one of the funnest long-term projects um, because it really started with like a very simple premise, which was that. A group of young people who were volunteers would commit to each other that they were going to help each other to produce a show on a regular basis. Um, and just the, the concept of that to me was, it's interesting how it works so well and they all really uh, dug the idea of committing to do something together and to work everybody to make it good and to you know work with each other to where they sort of have learned and they were all pretty young but they've learned crucial skills i think to to producing and being creative which is learning to work with a group and learning to take criticism without getting overly offended and how to give criticism without being overly offensive and it really works it helps to make their work better and seeing them work as a team really has taught me a lot about working as a team with, uh, with other people, lessons that I hadn't learned at this point in my life. Um, so that's also been, I would say, a very important and, and uh, good experience I've had. Well, while we're talking about the Radical Reporters, because they are a talented and dedicated group, of, would you like to buzz market their YouTube series real quick? Tell well, everybody check should go check out Public Access on uh, Radical Reporters channel on YouTube. Um, so yeah, just look up, if you search for Radical Reporters and Public Access, it should be one of the first hits on YouTube. They also should be a featured channel on AOC's uh, YouTube page. Um, but yeah, you should go check that out. People should definitely check that out. Yeah, it's really funny. That's Eventually they morphed into doing a comedy series and we're uh, still not 100% decided on the next project, but uh, that was a really fun project to work on. Well, speaking of projects, uh, do you have a dream project that you would like to work on or produce or is... I guess if I'm, yeah, if I'm taking the first thing that comes to mind is probably some sort of musical theater uh, film or something like that. Something that involves music, that involves uh, media, that involves um, 
the theatrical work, um, so, some sort of theatrical premise. Uh, I've always really been into very dramatic uh, rock bands, uh, sometimes more than others, and that whole vibe really excites me. I'd like to work on a project like that. Fair enough. Uh, so if AOC didn't exist, where would you imagine yourself wanting to work, or where would you imagine that you, that you would be working? Hmm. Um, you know, I might be at this point in another city if AOC didn't exist, um, just because I really, uh, although I never would have pinpointed this as a, as a young person, um, I think that kind of community media is my, my, and it sounds lame, I know, but it really is sort of my dream environment and my dream home. I love to work on creative projects and I love to work with uh, equipment, I love to solve puzzles, and I really like, uh, I mean, the feeling of sort of helping other people to become empowered to use those tools, especially people who might be like scared of them at first. It's fun for me to say, that's ah, not that scary. And, you know, you don't have to know everything. You don't have to be as good at skip as production to do production. You just have to get better every time. And empowering people to get over that fear, I'm sure, is a pretty big puzzle in and of itself sometimes. It is. And, and it takes, you know, it takes uh, different. I have to relook at like metaphors that I use and I have to relook at the way that. I see a situation and try and put myself into the shoes of another person who might be seeing it differently because we all sort of operate from our own lens. But when you're when you're trying to help other people to learn, it helps a lot to be able to try and try and see through their lens. Fair enough. Uh, so <coughs> I'm going to move on to some more fun type questions, some more off the wall, off the cuff questions. Okay. Um, so you and I have known each other a very long time, uh, and so I know for a fact that you are a, a console gamer because we console game a lot together. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to ask you a little bit about console gaming. Okay. <laughs> what would you say uh, your favorite genre of, of game is? Ooh, uh, it's, it's, RPG is probably my favorite if it's done really well. Uh, the things that are most reminiscent of those old text-based adventures. Um, I really like being able to see those realized with to where I don't have to do the work of imagining the characters or the scenery or anything like that. Um, but uh, those are kind of few and far between, and I won't name any names, but there's some, a couple of companies that do them really well, in my opinion, and I'm, I'm a casual gamer probably at best. Um, uh, but it's they're few and far between, and then like sort of my go-to is is a, a sort of third-person shooter that's just easy and and pretty something easy to pick up, easy to put down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I know this is as a follow-up question. I, I know your answer because I think you own three copies of this game. <laughs> what is your favorite game within that genre? Within the, RPG? your RPG favorite? Uh, well, I mean, Skyrim holds a pretty, <laughs> pretty high. Uh, <laughs> Skyrim by Bethesda holds a pretty high place in my canon of games. My and they'll and, just keep making that game until we and they do. Yeah. They keep remaking, and I bought uh, I think like at least three copies of that yeah. game in various right. forms or in the same form when I lost discs. Um, but it it definitely and and I don't know too. This may be a somewhat subjective uh, judgment, although that subjective judgment is probably shared by a lot of people, but. Just the experience I had playing Skyrim at that time in my life, 
and uh, that quality of game, it was a real experience that like, it's one that almost, you know, you, you chase in other games. Like I can't tell you how many games I bought hoping it'll be another Skyrim experience, but because either it's a different game or I'm at a different place in my life, that that experience is never going to happen again. It's like um, your white whale. Yeah, it is. It's kind of like my white whale or, yeah. Uh, so uh, Skyrim, but yeah, Skyrim's a really good game. I had a feeling it would, was going to be Skyrim. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, different question, but along the same uh, line, I know uh, that for you, probably more than just about anybody else I know, uh, music has been super influential in your life, both from just as a, an audio. You're one of the few people I would describe as an audiophile, like a true audiophile, somebody that really appreciates all the things that go into making music, not just the music itself. Yeah. Uh, you have been an audio engineer, you've been a musician, you've been just a fan. Uh, so what would you say uh, the most influential either band or musician has been on your overall either life or just tastes in general? Uh, well, I, I guess I would have to say, uh, and maybe it's I know that's a hard question. It is hard because there's, there's really probably, I mean, if I had to list them out, there's probably like 10 to 12 that I consider like really important and would always put on and, and continue to play. Um, but Queen was really the first band that I locked into. I want to say when I was, uh, that was when I first started having like band loyalty and like would wear band t-shirts or when people would ask, what's your favorite? I would have something to answer. Um, and so that is probably honestly one of the most influential and part of, and uh, part of that too comes from that I, I was listening to Queen before I knew I was listening to Queen because my dad had all the Queen records and he would listen to them all the time uh, when we were younger. He liked like all sorts of classic rock. Um, and then a friend of mine who was an older friend when I was uh, in middle school, um, she she chose Queen as her favorite band because it was in uh, Bohemian Rhapsody was in Wayne's World at the time, um, and so I really started listening to Queen then. And it really you know I listened to a lot of Queen, a lot of Pink Floyd, and that genre of like almost uh, opera rock, uh, opera classic rock, um, has really stuck with me. And I think part of that is because music is. For me, part of the, the magic of music is that it's almost like a direct translation for an emotion. So you can, you can say something with a musical phrase that will almost, it's instantly going to evoke some sort of emotion from somebody because it's playing with, with rhythms and all these sort of subconscious influences that we don't know are going on necessarily, but they make our, they'll make our body move. And, and you know, when your body moves, it, it triggers emotional responses in your brain. Um, so I think that uh, that would be my answer is like Queen uh, by length and then yeah just uh, the sort of theatrical uh, combining those ideas and those emotions is a real neat concept for me. When I was going to say Queen Queen and Pink Floyd and bands like them do kind of bring it back to what you were saying earlier about like theatrical or uh, totally. musical theater you yeah. know that they were more than just their music but a big show. Yeah. Uh, well, that's cool. Um, so, also talking about music, uh, 
uh, I can't ask you if you've ever attended one of their concerts because I know that you have not. That we're we're both too young for to have really done that when they were in their heyday when Freddie was still around. Uh, but I know you have attended a lot of concerts. Uh, so what would you say was probably one of your your favorite or most memorable concerts that you've been to? Uh, favorite and most memorable was definitely uh, David Byrne during the look into the eyeball tour um we uh that was like i was right at the height of my david byrne uh love which i still love all things david byrne including his new album um but he was he came to play in new orleans and it was like right at the time that he had started his blog uh online on his website and so i'd been reading his blog and i noticed that he went to um museums before most of his concerts, he would like ride his bike around the city and go check out museums. So me and my friend who were going, we decided to go early in the day. We went at about noon to New Orleans and we kind of like picked from the best of our understanding the museum that he would most likely go to. And sure enough, like as we walked <laughs> in the door, he's walking out and we just get to you know, I kind of, I wanted to talk to him, but at the same time, like, I didn't know what I would say, and I didn't want to say, like, I'm such a big fan, and you're awesome, <laughs> uh, and, and luckily, like, the, a museum employee did it for me, so I could experience that without feeling like the dummy, because uh, he kind of, like, walked up, and he was like, Mr. Byrne, I just want to let you know, and David Byrne, of course, was, like, graceful and, and nice and everything, but you could tell, like, he was kind of aggravating, and he was, like, yeah. really trying to, like, have some DT before I get up and perform, um, so it was good to be able to watch that, and, uh, and then the concert itself was just great because it was one of those rare occasions. Sometimes you go to concerts and they're playing the new stuff so you don't know the words and you can't really sing along. But this was one of those occasions where it just meshed perfectly to where it was, I guess, towards the end of the tour where I'd had plenty of time to listen and become familiar with all the music. Um, and so it was just a really great experience. That's awesome. Uh, well, since you didn't get to meet David Byrne, <laughs> who is the most famous person you'd say you have met? And what was that experience like? Um, I don't. I don't even know. It doesn't. Most famous would probably be like a local celebrity or like many just and, right. And uh, I mean, you know, probably, and probably in a work setting more than a mostly in a work setting. And and yeah, I mean, I I know I know the the the, the two uh, Tiffany and Taylor from Givers. Uh, yeah. But I knew them like a long time before they were even givers, and yeah. and so and I don't even really know them now. So that's I guess that's probably like the most famous people that I met um, for sure. But yeah, they're they're just really nice people who used to who played music at the same time or, or right uh, around the same time that I was finishing playing music. Well, if you could uh, if you could spend a day in someone else's shoes. Who do you think that would be and why? Hmm. Um, probably be um, anybody, really, I guess, anybody with uh, access to a lot of resources. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it just seems like uh, anybody who has a lot of resources has things a little bit easier in the world. And... Uh, and I kind of, I, you know, maybe, maybe to a fault, I, I try and, um, and I mean, it's difficult to do. And so it's weird for somebody to say this, I think, but 
I try and put myself in other people's shoes on a regular basis, I guess I'll say. Um, yeah. Not, not like I'm successful at doing it ever because I don't think you can ever really understand what another person's going through. But I just find it helps me to uh, communicate with people uh, in a way that's, that's more effective um, because I tend to be, and I think a lot of people tend to be sort of in their own head and just sort of get caught there. And so sometimes if I feel like um, I'm not, I'm not getting through to somebody or I'm not understanding something, it'll, it'll, that'll be one of the go-to exercises I do is I try and say like, okay, what, how, how would I be feeling or seeing this if I were in their shoes? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's a good exercise, but who would I like to be? Anyone with a lot of resources. <laughs> Anybody whose private island you could go hang out on. Yes. Or, yeah. <laughs> um, well, if you could, if you could have dinner with uh, with someone living or deceased, who would it be, and why? Oh, um, I probably. Uh, question always feels like a lie to me because I don't think you know. You never really know. Uh, probably, if you're choosing, but um, I'll choose. I'll choose people I would have dinner with anyway. My friends and my, yeah, my family right. and, yeah, uh, people. I have dinner with people I want to have dinner with. <laughs> and, yeah, I'm sure there's... And never meet your heroes, right? Well, there's, <laughs> I mean, there probably are some heroes that I would like to... I mean, like, uh, Mark Oliver Everett from Eel seems like a really nice guy who's hard to access. Yeah. Um, David Byrne seems like a, a... I don't know if he seems like a nicest guy that I think I would be too dumb to eat dinner with David because I'd just be like, you'd feel. You're, you're what? Uh, great. I'd have nothing to say. Uh, so, um, yeah, I don't, there's a few, probably, uh, I'll take it back. I, I would have a dinner with um, comedians like Gary Shandling, uh, I think would be great to have dinner with. Um, uh, Larry David, I think I would like to have dinner with as much as a trying experience that might be. Uh, and uh, probably Mark Marin too. Maybe Mark Marin could moderate that whole situation. So. <laughs> so less of a dinner and more of a round table. Yeah, probably just <laughs> drinks, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you, could, uh, if you could travel anywhere in the world, where would you go and, and why do you think that is? I think I'd go to uh, Costa Rica um, because it seems really pretty and the climate seems nice. And uh, I, I mean, I would want to. I guess like one of my my very unresearched and unthought of thought about dreams uh, would be to own some sort of like very small janky resort in Costa Rica and <laughs> just be able to like be live sort of a beach bum life uh, and you know. Uh, and run an Airbnb on the beach or Pretty something. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just like kind of chill on the beach. That sounds like a really uh, nice, relaxing time. So we got, I got two more questions for you. You're almost Oof. done. Uh, describe yourself in three words. Oof. I know. I knew that one was your favorite. I did think about that one, uh, but I don't. Um, I would say. Um, hmm.
What's the other one? Let's see if I can come back to this. All one. right. So this one I've actually <laughs> changed up a little okay. bit. So the, the question they gave me to ask was, how would you like to be remembered? I'm changing that to, how would you like your epitaph to read? <laughs> uh, I probably uh, something jokey, I'm sure. And I feel like I came up with a good joke recently. I, that's kind of why I changed it, because I feel like you told me a joke recently that I was like, oh. That's... What did I say? Because it could totally work, but I can't remember. <laughs> I should have written it down. Um, I guess I'm going to say that then. Uh, my epitaph will say, I should have written it down. <laughs> so you, have, uh, you think you have an answer for the three words? I don't. Because, um, uh, yeah, the, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, let me break down. It's hard to break down. Three words question a little bit, right? Because like, you think about it sort of like in the... The ego sense of the word, right, is like what you think, but then I'm also thinking of the superego part, which is like, what would other people think? Um, it's a lot to unpack. It is a lot to unpack. <laughs> you're like, how did I have to pick three? And it's like, do I pick one that's from the ego and one that's from the superego? <laughs> uh, I would say... Um, <laughs> and then one at random. And then do I want to reveal this much about me? <laughs> if I choose the three words? Uh, that's like... All right, well, then I'm going to change it up. I'm going to give you a different question. Okay, all right. Do you have any fears or phobias? Um, I, I do not, however, in my old, older... In my, in grow, throughout growing older, uh, I have found, and I found this out while my dog was being uh, sur surgeried, uh, having surgery performed on her, the sight of, of blood uh, does create a faintness in me. It creates that... Really? phobic reaction because um, yeah I, I cannot control it but when I see it like I start getting weak need and any amount of blood or does it have to be like no, a certain amount no and it may just be like on like things I care about because it was definitely sure, a yeah. weird first-time situation before like nothing had really bothered or grossed me out I could like you know watch people throw up and not like feel queasy or you know what none of it uh really affected seeing people watching like surgery videos wouldn't affect me at all but for some reason, when they they cut this thing off my dog's toe, and they were sewing it up, and as they were doing it, uh, I didn't even really know what was going on. But the doctor looked at me, the the vet, and he was like, "You need to get that man a chair. He's about to pass out." <laughs> um, so I guess that's the closest thing to a phobia, because I really, for the longest time, I had a hard time processing phobias, because my buddy had a had a spider phobia, and I would watch him act like a ridiculous little ninny. I don't know. I hope that's not a bad word, but. Uh, when a spider would come around, including like throwing things randomly into the air. And so one day I was like, dude, dude what, is, what is it like to, when you see a spider? And he's like, okay, well, so it's like, I see a spider and all the blood drops out of my head and my ears start ringing and I can't, I don't know what's going on. And I was Goodness. like, okay, all right, that, that, now I understand a little better. Because before, it honestly kind of, when I would see him react that way, I'd be like, come on, it's a spider. Yeah, but then, when then knowing that it was sheer panic. Yeah, and when yeah. It, that kind of helped me to understand, I guess, phobia, the idea of phobia a little better. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Thank Matt. you. It was a good one. <laughs>
Ed Bowie, Lillian Dejon, Annette Diaz, Joe Boosie Ferguson, Nancy Judice, Joseph Klesanen, William McFarlane, Matt Roberts, Skip Shannon, Christy Tracy, Jasmine Tillery, Jacob White, and Shahid Williams. Music in today's episode, Luna's Little Friend, Ukulele Instrumental by Ivan Chu, Irakosh Key by Nagno, The Long Goodbye by John Pazdan. AOC Community Media is located at the Rosa Parks Transportation Center, 101 Jefferson Street, Suite 100, Lafayette, Louisiana, 70501. For more information, go to our website at aocinc.org. Call 337-232-4434 or email info at aocinc.org. Until next time, stay informed and engaged.